0: Someone, please do a mic check for me. Just make sure everything's working okay. I normally get like a number of comments uh, when I check in. Uh, just to make sure, like it's working. Okay. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Wa laa qibatul muttaqeen. Wa la'adwana illa 'ala al zaalimeen. Wa ashhadu ala illa illa Allahu wadhehu la sharikalahu ilaha ulawwailina wa alaakhirina. وأشهد أن نبينا محمدًا عبده ورسوله الأمين اللهم صلِّ وسلِّم وبارك ورسولك محمدٍ وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين بعد. Welcome to another uh, Quranic progression lesson, and inshallah, Taala, as you know, today we're going to continue with the tafsir of Suratul Ala. But before I begin, uh, just a quick uh, housekeeping announcement. Uh, I think, um, as you've probably seen on the on the Telegram group. Uh, over the last like week or so maybe slightly longer uh, there's been some issues with regards to the um, to the portal and some of the stuff that they're doing in the background so the team i think is is making some updates they're making some changes in the way that the the portal is working i think every so often they do some maintenance on it uh, and i think when that happens and some of the functionality uh, is lost uh, so i think uh because I saw some messages on the Telegram group about some people saying they couldn't access certain videos or maybe certain notes and so on. Um, so that's something which I think uh, because they're working on the background, that's the reason why. So when that happens, just like, you know, inshallah ta'ala, just, uh, you know, just be a bit, little bit patient and uh, give them like some time. Um, as you know, I think, you know, the vast majority of like people that, that are doing stuff for... Uh, Quranic progression and logical progression of volunteers so sometimes it's not as maybe as quick as you know we'd ever like it to be so we just like give them some time give them some you know just, just, just wait and then inshallah within uh, a week or two or three or however long it takes inshallah things will be back up to normal and hopefully these changes uh, are positive changes and uh, we also have like a group of um, sisters uh, I think this has probably been mentioned also on the telegram group or maybe even in the lesson before uh, we have a group of sisters who are our transcribing team uh, that do an amazing job, may Allah bless them all and reward them greatly uh, They put a lot of time and effort into the notes and I every so often like to mention them uh, not, very, not least because at the, very, you know, at, at the very least we should all be making dua for them and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He bless their efforts and accept from them It's not easy to, to transcribe anything, uh, it's not easy and so when you, if you have like a 40-minute lecture or a 50-minute lecture, one-hour lecture it will probably take you three to four times uh, that length in order to transcribe word-for-word word as they do uh, that lesson or that lecture and so then to take those transcribed notes and to do summaries and snapshots and everything else is something which is a lot of effort and they do it very well mashallah taala, in terms of its design, in terms of the accuracy of the notes but also in terms of their, um, their efficiency you know you don't have to wait very long in order for those notes to be available we also have a group of sisters that I also want to mention and, and this possibly has also uh, been mentioned previously that are now actually taking uh, the notes that we have and, and translating them into Malay so they're doing the transcribing into Malay uh, and we have as uh, you know we have students from Malaysia and Indonesia and that part of the world uh, and that's something which they're doing in and I'm hoping uh, you know because it is on, on our to-do list that at some point in the resource section uh, of, of this portal for, for Qur'anic progression then the transcribed notes in Malay would also be available bithni Allah Ta'ala and as you know like this is like the whole idea of Qur'anic progression is to spread the tafsir of the Book of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala and the in-depth study of tafsir in terms of uh, the positions of the Salaf of tafsir of the Qur'an and therefore, it's something which everyone can take part in. So, you know, you may not be part of the transcribing team in one language. There's no reason why you can't do it in another language, uh, and so on and so forth. And so, therefore, uh, you know, may Allah bless everyone who's, who's putting in that time and effort. So, just, just uh, inshallah ta'ala give him some time, and hopefully, uh, everything will be back up as per usual. In our last lesson, we did a the tafsir of a number of verses, and we uh, began with the verse in the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-A'la أَخْرَجَ فَجَعَلَهُ غُثَاءَ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks that from His signs and from the attributes of Allah azza wa jalis, He is the one who causes the green pasture to come forth and then He makes it into, uh, into dry debris and we mentioned the tafsir of the scholars in terms of the meaning of uh, mar'a and, and Ghutha and, and Ahwa, in terms of the linguistic meanings of those words, and also in terms of the general meaning of Tafsir, it is from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and from the benefits of those signs, is the sign of resurrection and the sign of how the cycle that Allah Azzurajal has placed upon this dunya, just as it works in things like the vegetation and, and the rain, and the way that the earth comes back to life after a period of being barren and dry. Then likewise, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala will resurrect people on Yom Al qiyamah Allah Azza Wa Jal. Last week we mentioned in the verses that which Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, illa ma Allah." We will make you recite or teach you to recite, so don't be from amongst those who forgot, or don't be forgetful. And we mentioned the tafsir of the scholars, and and one of the major positions amongst the scholars with tafsir. Is that that verse is similar to the verse in Surah al-Qiyamah in which Allah subhanahu wa taala says, "Do not move your tongue or hasten with your tongue in recitation, but rather we will be the ones to gather it for you and to recite it unto you," meaning the Quran. And that is because, as is mentioned in a number of narrations, including Sahih Bukhari, that the Prophet sallallahu revelation first came to him would hasten in terms of repeating after Jibreel والسلام, and he would do so out of fear that he would forget the revelation and Allah told him that it would be preserved and it is from the means or from the ways in which the book of Allah is preserved from the ways in which the book, the Quran has been preserved is this way and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved it to that extent that Allah preserved it in terms of its revelation to the Prophet, ﷺ, in terms of the Prophet ﷺ reading it and reciting it and teaching it to his companions, and then in terms of that being relayed from generation to generation. And then we have what we call an istithna, an exception. Allah says, illa Allah," except for that which Allah wills. And we mentioned uh, last week a detailed discussion as to the position of the scholars with tafsir concerning what that exception denotes. Uh, so from those positions is that some of the scholars said, Illa mā Allāh, except for that which Allāh wishes." Meaning, don't leave ter- don't leave any of it in terms of action. Meaning that you shouldn't leave anything from the Qur'an. You should hold on to all of it, and you should be someone who applies all of the teachings of Allāh Subḥanahu wa Ta'ala. So it is more than an exception; it is an instruction. And as we've said before, the word "illā" can come in various meanings in the Arabic language, depending on context. And then you have the other position which is perhaps the position of the majority and that is that they said that the meaning of this exception is abrogation what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to forget and so Allah makes the Prophet sallallahu forget not in the sense that he literally forgets but it's made to be forgotten meaning that it is removed from the Quran in terms of its recitation or in terms of its ruling and that is what we call abrogation uh, and that is similar to the verse in Surah Al-Baqarah we do not cause anything to be abrogated except that it is replaced with something similar to it or better than it. In terms of its ruling and in terms of the benefits that it brings and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the rulings that Allah azza wa brings into the sharia. And so that was the position as we mentioned of a number of the scholars of tafsir and we mentioned the statements of the likes of Imam al-Tabari and Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti and others concerning that being a, a, a common position amongst the scholars of tafsir that this is the meaning of the verse. Uh, this week we begin with verse number eight. And that is the statement of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Lil Yusra. We shall show you the easy way. And that is the translation of Professor uh, Abdul Halim. In the translation of Sahih International we will ease you towards ease. And Mufti Taqi, we will facilitate, facilitate for you the easiest way. And Muhsin Khan, we shall make easy for you, O oh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the easy way and then in brackets, the doing of righteous deeds. Uh, Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, we have a statement of his concerning the meaning of Allah azza wa the meaning of this verse, the meaning of the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yusra. We will show you the easy way or we'll facilitate ease for you. He said it means al-khair. it means that we will make the path of goodness easy for you. And as we've said before, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, when we did the tafsir of Surah Al-Layl, right? Allah spoke about those people, those people who, who are of righteousness, those people who obey, those people who fear Allah azza wa jalla, and they affirm uh, what is good and so on. Allah azza wa jalla says, يسرى, We will facilitate for them ease. وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَاسْتَغْنَى وَكَذَّبَ And as for the one who is stingy and misery uh, and and, and uh, disbelieves or rejects, then Allah says, For him, we will make the path of hardship his way facilitated for him. And so one of the things that we therefore we find within the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that the path of goodness, the path towards Jannah and others is called the path of ease. Not because literally every single part of that path is easy, as we mentioned before, because that is a uh, sometimes a, a misunderstanding or a misconception that certain Muslims have, that if I'm upon the correct path and the true path, if I'm on the path that leads me to Jannah, if I'm worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reading the Quran, someone who's engaged in ibadah and so on, then everything in my life should be easy because surely I'm doing what Allah is pleased with, and if I'm doing what Allah is pleased with, then Allah is blessing and rewarding me. And from that reward, therefore, is that my life should be very easy, plain sailing, no problems, no hardships. And that is an incorrect understanding. And you know the, the biggest and greatest example of that is the lives of the prophets and messengers of Allah. That if anyone was to have that principle applied to them in that way and with that understanding, it would have been the messengers of Allah. But the meaning of yusra as we said before, number one, is that Allah allows it to be easy for you. The fact that you are a person whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided to Islam, person who, who prays, who reads Quran, who worships Allah جل, who fulfills your obligations, the fact that you're able to do that even if with difficulty, it is something which Allah has facilitated for you. Meaning it has made easier that path for you. Because for many people, the path of guidance is extremely difficult, finding that guidance. And even those people who find that guidance, to be steadfast upon it, to be continuous upon it, to be diligent upon it, to have that self-discipline, to remain upon it at all times and all situations, is not something which is necessarily facilitated for them. And from the meanings of this verse, or from the meanings of, of al-yusra that we facilitate ease for you, is that it is ease in the greatest sense of the word, meaning... That for these people, even if their life is full of difficulty, ultimately what they will have is the greatest of ease, and that is Jannah. And that is why uh, you know, we will mention here that that is also one of the Tafsir of the companions for this verse. That Allah Jalla facilitates for you Jannah. So even if you have a life of hardship, but then eternity in Jannah, in Allah's reward and paradise, then overall, you have still been given the easy path. Whereas if someone has luxury, and, and comfort and joy in this world For a limited period of time 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years And then an eternity of punishment An eternity of wrath And anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Then that person hasn't been given the easy path They haven't found the easy path To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And so that is why Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu an In his tafsir of this verse When we asiruka yusra He said, it is Jannah That we have, We will show you the easy way Or facility ease for you he said it is Jannah. And both of those meanings are the same. The position of Ibn Abbas and Ibn Mas'ud عنهم, عنهما, as we said before, uh, you know, the the, the Salaf often uh, in their tafsir are speaking about one and the same thing but just from a different angle. So Ibn Abbas عنه, is speaking about deeds and righteousness and, and being able to f- perform those deeds that ultimately lead a person to Jannah. And Ibn Mas'ud عنه, is speaking about the end result and the consequence of that path or the end result of that path, the destination, and that is the destination of a being in Jannah. And that's why Imam ال, Al-Qurtubi, uh, he said, إلي And the meaning of the word ease here is that Allah Azza wa Jal guides you towards the path of ease, and that path of ease is the path of good deeds and righteous deeds. And he said, then others said, نُوَفِّقُكَ yusra al to and and he said, and this is the position of al Dhahak. Dhahak said that we will guide you to the easy Sharia, or the Sharia that is kind, that is easy going, that is uh, that is easy to follow, and that was the position of and and that is of a very similar meaning because the Sharia that is Samha, that is Hanafiyyah, uh, Hanafi is is righteous deeds, it is righteous actions, and ultimately it leads you to Jannah. And again, so this is one of the Scholars of tafsir essentially saying the same thing but from a different way. And so he's looking at it in terms of the rulings, the ahkam of the Sharia. And that is that the Sharia inherent within it is ease. And so from the ease of the Sharia is, for example, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in times of difficulty or or, uh, extreme need and and necessity, the Sharia becomes easy. And also from the Sharia and and it being easy is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the ahkam and the rulings easy for us. So, for example, in terms of the, the rulings that we have for us as Muslims compared to the rulings that other, uh, the, those who came before us had in terms of their Sharia. So, for example, if we compare the rulings of, that we have as Muslims compared to, for example, uh, the Jews in terms of what they found in the Torah, you will see a big difference. right? They had things like the Sabbath. We don't have anything similar to the Sabbath in that sense in Islam. The way that they have to slaughter their meat, what we call kosher meat, or what they call kosher meat. You know, it is a very. If you just Google and read up the way that that meat has to be slaughtered, it is far more strict than what we have to do as Muslims in terms of our halal meat. And so that is something which is their Sharia, it's their rules, it's their it's their ahkam, it's their rulings, and so on. So from the ease that Allah Azza gave to us, is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala took from us or made easy for some of the difficulties that they had. Uh, the Prophet told us, sallallahu alaihi wasallam that every single people that came before us for their worship, they could only worship in certain places that they had anointed as places of worship. So for example, the Christians, the Jews, others, they worship in certain places. They don't just go anywhere on any road. You don't see them in any place generally worshiping in the way that they have their services and, and so on, their religious ceremonies, uh, anywhere openly. Whereas the Prophet told us, For as for me, all of the earth was made a place of purification and a place of prostration and prayer. So this is the meaning of the statement of al-Dhahaq. And al qurtubi said, and also it is said that from the meanings of this verse, الوحي, That we make easy for you the revelation that you may memorize it and act in accordance to it. And that is that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam found it easy in the sense that he was able to bear the burdens of, of revelation. And we know that revelation was something which or revelation is something which has or, or was for the Prophet, it was something which, and for the Prophets of Allah, جل, it is something which has a certain heaviness attached to it. And that is what Allah says in Surah Al thaqila." Indeed, we will place upon you a heavy speech. Meaning, the revelation of the Quran is heavy in terms of its revelation as well. That is one of the meanings of that verse. So, uh, in the hadith of Aisha عنها, When she describes the revelation Of the Prophet وسلم, She says That sometimes on a cold day He would sweat Because of revelation And there are a number of narrations Of how the Prophet Would receive revelation And he would be upon his camel Or upon his riding beast And the animal Would have to sit down It would have to go down Wouldn't be able to stand Because of the uh, burden of weight That it felt upon it When, as revelation has been given to the Prophet ﷺ. And on another occasion, one of the companions is sitting very close to the Prophet ﷺ to the extent that some of the leg of the Prophet ﷺ is upon his leg because they were sitting very closely packed together. And he said, and then revelation came upon him, and I felt such a weight upon my leg, the companion said, that I feared that it would break. I feared that my leg would break. It would snap because of the weight that was being placed upon it, because of the revelation that the Prophet ﷺ sought and so therefore you know and you have other narrations as well that you will find uh, within the books of hadith concerning uh, the revelation that the Prophet ﷺ would receive and its manner and so on and so forth and so therefore that's also a meaning uh, from the meanings that is given of this verse however the one that is um, you know the one that is generally uh, and all of these are one and the same thing essentially they mean one and the same thing Al-Imam Al-Tabari he said that the meaning is O Messenger, o messenger of Allah وسلم, we will make easy and facilitate for you ease He said Wal yusra yusra. And ease is uh, the, oh, the word yusra is the feminine word from the word yusra It is the feminine form from the word yusra And as we know Al-Imam Al-Tabari normally usually When he comes to the tafsir he says When he comes to these types of words That it encompasses includes all of those meanings and so therefore, it is every type of ease that is given in terms of good deeds, in terms of the path towards Jannah, in terms of, and as we said before, that doesn't necessarily mean that the path is one that is easy in terms of there is no difficulty or burden or test or trial or hardship. But rather, it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the ability to overcome those challenges, that Allah Azza wa Jalla guides you to what is good in all of those circumstances. And so always you are able to take the path that is most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In verse number 9, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, inna So remind if reminding will help. And that is the uh, translation of, of Professor Abdul Harim, Sahih International. So remind if the reminder should benefit. So extend advice to people if advice is useful. And Muhsin Khan, therefore remind them in case the reminder profits them. From these three translations you can see, there's four translations that I I, I went through, but the first three kind of agree on the uh, general meaning of the verse. And that is that the Prophet ﷺ is told to remind or give advice if it is found to be beneficial or helpful or useful. Muhsin Khan takes a slightly different uh, translation and and we'll see this because we'll come into the tafsir of this now. Uh, And that is that he says, remind in case the reminder profits them rather than if right. in case the reminder meaning perchance the reminder will benefit them as opposed to if the reminder will benefit them uh, the reminder or the dhikra uh, as we've uh, mentioned before in terms of, of, of the of the dhikra because this is something which we mentioned just in the last surah in surah al-ghashiyah uh, فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ مذكر. Uh, so that's something which we like, covered very recently Al-Hasan uh, al-Basri he said That what is a reminder for the believer Becomes an evidence against the disbeliever Meaning for the believer When they hear the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala The verses of Allah azawajal being recited They're reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala It becomes something which they benefit from The disbeliever because they turn away Because they reject Because they refuse to accept Then for them it becomes an evidence against them and similar to this statement of al Hassan al-Basri ta'ala, is something which is ascribed as being the statement of Ibn Abbas anhuma, that he said that it is the reminder that benefits the awliya of Allah and doesn't benefit the enemies of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, Al-Imam tabari he said that Allah Azza wa Jal says remind the servants of Allah Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Remind them and warn them and give them the warning concerning the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, in nafa'ati dhikra, he said, the meaning of that is if it will benefit them in terms of them coming to Iman or increasing in Iman, and if it does not, then leave them. Right? If it does not, then leave them. Um, and he says the statement of Allah Azza و جل فذكر, It is a command from Allah Azza That the Prophet should give this reminder to all people To all people And therefore if he thinks that there is no reminder Or no benefit in that reminder Then he reminds them until he thinks That there is no reminder to continue with Or no uh, purpose in continuing with that reminder This is the issue that we will come on to very shortly And that is the meaning of this word in This word in and whether that is a condition, whether that's something which therefore Allah Azza is saying that remind if you think there is benefit in reminding. Or is it something which doesn't mean like that? Is it something which is uh, which which means remind either way? So what is the meaning of that word in? Ibn Kathir rahimahullah Ta'ala, he said um, he said that one of the benefits of this verse is that a reminder should be something which is beneficial. So we'll we'll come onto that issue of in, in in a short while because Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin al Rahimahullah Taala will mention his statement. He, he does a nice um, he he does a nice uh, summary of that of that issue. But I wanted to mention Ibn Kathir ta'ala statements first, or actually we'll come on to Ibn Kathir later. I think that makes more sense. Let's go through the tafsir of the verse and then we'll come onto some of the benefits of this verse that Ibn Kathir mentions. Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin al Rahimahullah Taala he says. That this verse, if you were to look at just the uh, the, the Arabic language and, and as you can see the majority of translations, he says that what we understand from this verse is that this verse that tells us to remind should only be done if we think that there is a benefit in that reminder because of the ex- inclusion of the word in. In means if generally. In in Arabic they call it an ashartiyah. The an ashartiyah means a conditional and which means if. In the English language, we would say if. However, he says also in a number of the surahs of the Qur'an, uh, Allah gives the command to remind and to warn without this condition. So for example, as we mentioned in Surah Al-Ghashi, And Allah says in Surah Al-Dhariyat, inna Remind, for indeed you are a reminder. Or in Surah Al-Dhariyat, remind for indeed reminder benefits the believers. But he doesn't make it a condition that it has to be something which is beneficial. So how then do we understand this? He said that some of the scholars of, of Arabic and, and Tafsir are of the position that in this verse there is, a, uh, there is a, uh, a part of the verse that is missing or a meaning that is, that is understood, as we said before, sometimes in the Arabic language, uh, you say something. And the opposite is inherently understood, but you don't have to mention it. It doesn't have to be mentioned explicitly, but it is inherently understood. So for example, in the statement of Allah Azza wa in Surah Al-Nahl, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about His blessings, and from His blessings is the cattle that we have. So the sheep and the goats and so on, and how we benefit from their skin, from their wool, and from their hair. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you make from them for yourselves, overcoats and certain types of garments, taqiqum al-har. And, and and you use them in your abodes and so on that prevent you or keep you warm right they keep you uh, warm uh, or, or they or they safeguard you from the warmth. they safeguard you from the heat the scholars of tafsir many of them are the position that that verse also means and likewise from those that clothing is that which prevents you or keeps you safe from the cold so just as clothing or, or certain items that, that you have can cool you down then there are certain items that you have of clothing that also keep you warm. And so, therefore, likewise, here they say that there is a meaning of the verse that is inherently understood. And that is that Allah is really saying, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in this verse, الدكرة, remind if the reminder will benefit, wa illam and even if it doesn't benefit, meaning that in all cases. You should remind the people concerning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, concerning his religion, whether you think it will benefit them or not. Whether you think that those people are going to benefit or not. And from the benefits of this tafsir, therefore, is that you always benefit. You may come across a group of people and you may think that they're obstinate in terms of their kufr and their disbelief and their opposition to Islam, but you don't know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in store for them. You don't know uh, what's going to happen to them in terms of the iman and so on or because they're associated with something or someone, you may think that automatically that, that person won't believe in Allah Azzawajal, but you don't know the reality of that. So for example, in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, maybe some people, if you were just to read the general seal and you didn't know it before, it's the first time you come across it, you would never think that someone like Abu Sufyan would eventually become Muslim. If you were to read some of the stories in terms of what his wife Hind, uh, who later, obviously both of them later on, become Muslims, radiallahu but before that, before their Islam, because Islam takes place in the year of the conquest of Mecca, which is the eighth year of the Hijrah. So for the first 20 odd years of the Prophethood of uh, our Prophet Wasallam, they are from the staunchest opponents of Islam, and from the major enemies of Islam and the Muslims. You wouldn't think that such a person would accept Islam at the end. You wouldn't think that they would become from the Muslims. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided them. And so you give the reminder to everyone, irrespective because you don't know what Allah jal has in store for them. Uh, likewise, and that is essentially what Imam al-Tabri was saying, I don't think I did a good job in relaying his, his words, but essentially Imam al says that this is the meaning, that you, even if you don't hope for them in terms of their iman, you will still continue to remind them. And so it's as if that he's also taken this uh, particular, uh, particular uh, meaning in terms of the verse. Um, or for example because of their association, so for example uh, you know who would ever expect that the that the wife of Pharaoh for example would accept Islam as here That she would be someone who believed in in her time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet Musa alayhi salatu wasalam Living in that household being the wife of the greatest tyrant upon the face of the earth You know one of the, the, the worst ever individuals to live in, in terms of his kufr and his evil and oppression And then she becomes a person of iman Believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so they say that this is the meaning that in the verse there is a uh, a part of the verse that is understood by its context, even though it is not mentioned in uh, it is not mentioned uh, openly, and that is therefore the meaning would be so. Remind if you think the reminder is beneficial, and even if you do not think so, that is one position. The other position that you will find is that the word and here or in here uh, and an, in have the same meaning, and or in here is with the meaning of id when. So the meaning would be remind when you think it is beneficial to remind or when you think that it will benefit in the reminder. And this is the position of the Kufiyin in terms of the Arabic linguists. You have the two major schools of Arabic language, the Madrasa of Kufa and the Madrasa of Basra. And you have the difference between them. The general difference, I don't know if I have mentioned this before and without going into too much detail, is that the Basri uh, the school of the Basri, Basri linguists in Arabic language, they were much more, um, they were much more uh, restrictive in terms of what they considered to be acceptable in the Arabic language in grammar, and in terms of its, you know, what they would use in terms of their sources, in terms of their, um, you know, the, the Arabic. And I think I mentioned this before anyway. So they're looking very, they're, they're restricting it in terms of what's well-known poetry, what's well-known literature, what the major Arab tribes were upon, and so on. The second uh, school of thought when it comes to Arabic language and grammar and so on is the Kufi Madrasa. And both Basra and Kufa are very close to each other. They're both in modern day Iraq. So we're not speaking about a, you know, one in East and West. This is very close together. But they just became known because you had major linguists here and major linguists there and then uh, their students and so on. And so they became famous in that way. The Kufi school is, is very much open, even if it's something which is a... A peculiar verse of poetry that's mentioned by someone we don't really know who they are but some Arab tribe somewhere in Arabia said this and it works in Arabic language they would accept it and they will say therefore that shows that it's acceptable in Arabic language right and so they have a very wider much wider approach in terms of the understanding of the Arabic language and that's why you often find that they will say no you have in the Arabic language that in if can sometimes mean when and so therefore you know they're based on this kind of stuff um, and so therefore based upon that when Allah Azza wa Jalla Allah Azza wa is saying do it or remind when it is beneficial to do so meaning therefore Shaykh Muhammad al says meaning therefore that you begin with that which is most important and you do it in the time that you will think is most beneficial to the people that you think will it will have the most impact upon. Right? And so for example you begin with what is the most important issue for example for a non-Muslim the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's the first thing that you're going to begin with. Right, and you're going to go and speak to them about that time, and you're going to choose the, the time that is most appropriate for them. As the Prophet Wasallam would do, he wouldn't just turn up in the middle of the night and start knocking on people's doors. He wouldn't just interrupt them in they're, for example, but he would come to them when they're sitting in the shade of the Kaaba, and they're speaking, they're resting, it's their time of general conversation and so on. That's when he would go and he would approach them. I wouldn't just come to them, someone's in the middle of their job and they're, you know, manual labor and they're working and they have like these things to carry and th- that stuff to do. And all of a sudden you go, no, oh, no, stop, stop. I want to tell you about Islam. Maybe it's not the best time or place for that. And so this is the meaning of uh, of, of that verse according to that particular uh, tafsir. Um, and from those positions of tafsir amongst the linguists is the, th- is, is the third position which is, I think, the one that Muhsin Khan uh, chooses in his translation, and that is that the word "in" means "qad." Qad, uh, qad is essentially uh, in case, right, or per chance. So, remind in case that reminder may benefit them. And if you, um, you know, if we go with that tafsir, uh, it is similar in, in the sense that therefore you would be giving. It's not like a condition. Therefore, it is something which you give the reminder to everyone because you don't know per chance that a person, Iman may settle in their heart, they may hear a word that guides them, they may hear something which benefits them. And so you give that reminder in all positions. And this is the position amongst, so the first position that there's a missing part of the verse, I forgot to mention uh, who from amongst the linguists said that, it is Al-Farra and Al-Nahas and others as well. Al-Farra and Al-Nahas, uh, the second position as we said is the position of the Kufis, the, the, the Kufi school of Arabic language and the third one is the position of a linguist by the name of Qutrub Qutrub uh, was a famous scholar of the Arabic language and Arabic grammar and so on and he has a nice poem uh, for those of you that are interested in this kind of stuff it is called The Muthalith of Qutrub uh, and Qutrub basically what he gathers in this, in this particular poem I don't think it's a very long poem but he essentially uh, gathers words uh, it's, a, it's the same word but it can be pronounced with the fatha or a dhamma or a Kasra Right? So the fatha or a dhamma or a kasra, all three you can use in terms of like the fatha has one meaning, the dhamma has another meaning. The Kasra is exactly the same word, but the the, the the word has a fatha sometimes, and a dhamma or a Kasra and each one means something slightly different. And so he gathered these words together in, in, in a poem that you that you can find online and on YouTube and so on. But anyway, this was his position as well. Um the Sheikh, uh, the Sheikh, Taala, Shaykh Muhammad al After mentioning this, he was of the position that we take the the apparent meaning of the verse, and that is that in uh, takes its apparent meaning, that it is conditional, that it is conditional, and so therefore the meaning of the verse would be remind if you think it will be beneficial to remind. So that's essentially saying to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he doesn't need to repeat the reminder to those people that he doesn't need doesn't think it will benefit them. So what it means by uh, if you think it will be beneficial, isn't that you don't think those people will become Muslim because you don't have knowledge. So you can't just say, for example, I'm not going to call anyone to Islam because all of these people in my country, none of them will become Muslim. What it means is that, no, I called them and I saw their response and I don't think that there is any benefit or any any great thing to be gained by me going back and repeating the da'wah to them or the call to them or the message to them or the warning to them and so therefore that person doesn't have to go back. He said um, he said, as for if he knows there will be a benefit then clearly he has to go and call those people again and if he doesn't think that there will be any benefit then the Sharia doesn't order you to do those things which are unbeneficial. The sharia generally doesn't command people to do things in which there is no benefit. And so that seems to be his reasoning as to why he chose that particular tafsir. and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So this therefore, in terms of this, uh, and this is something which uh, can also be said, as some of the scholars said, it is something which is more specific to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In the sense that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, because of the revelation of Allah Azza wa to him, because of his knowledge of certain things, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was better able to know and understand who it would benefit or not. And the example that you will see given therefore is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ made dua against certain leaders of Quraysh because he knew that Allah had sealed their hearts, that they would never believe and that they would die upon their disbelief. People like Abu Jahl and people like Umayyah and Utb and, Walid and and those people as we know the leaders of Quraysh and their, and, their, and their chieftains and those are the people, many of them, that died in the battle of Badr. And so the Prophet knew that those people wouldn't benefit from that particular particular, uh, repetition of warning and so on. And so the Prophet would call people openly and they would often overhear this. But he wouldn't necessarily approach them again. So that's something different from me and you in terms of our ability to understand or to know or to be able to go to someone and say, oh, actually, you know, we're going to uh, stop calling this person because we don't know, we don't have that knowledge or that insight. And so for us, it is more a case of you try and you try and maybe you change the way in which you try and so on. And that's why I wanted to mention um, these statements of uh, or the statement or, or part of the statement of Ibn Kathir, uh, rahimahullah taala. Um, he mentions uh, a couple of things which I you know which kind of led me on to a wider point, and that is the issue of what is considered to be a beneficial reminder. He said that Allah tells us to remind when it is beneficial to do so. And He said from here we find the etiquettes of seeking or spreading knowledge and that it's something which should be given to people in the appropriate way. It should be given to people in the appropriate way. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says remind if it is beneficial to remind from the meanings and from the benefits that we can extrapolate from that verse is that it is incumbent upon the one who is giving the message and the reminder To make it beneficial, to ensure that it is beneficial, meaning that it is delivered in the correct way to the people that it is most appropriate to be given to in that setting in the way that is suitable to them. So the way that you would approach, for example, a teenager is different to the way that you would approach maybe an elderly person. The way that you would approach someone who maybe is is suffering or maybe is poor or destitute or homeless is probably very different to the way that you would approach someone who's an affluent businessman and someone who's extremely wealthy and rich someone is a noble person or they have a chieftain position in their in their society, in their community, in their tribe very different to the person who has no position, no status within that particular setting or that particular tribe and so this is essentially what Ibn Kathir is saying that we take from this and we see from the example of the Prophet wasallam, the adab, the etiquette that he had in terms of the way that, that knowledge was spread in the way that the da'wah is given, in the way that you approach this issue of giving knowledge as Ali used to say, when you speak to people, speak to them according to their level. Because if you do not do so, it will be a fitna for some of them. So from the meanings of this verse, therefore, is that it is incumbent upon you to make it beneficial. It is incumbent upon you in terms of the way that you make it beneficial to that person as well. And so, the da'i, the one who is a, a smart da'i, the one who is a an intelligent da'i, the one who really wants good for people who study this and, and that's why people teach now da'wah techniques, right? You see people teaching dawah techniques for this reason because often, you know, the whole like just 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 uh you know, just give it to everyone and just bombard everyone and, and don't really have a, a, a nuanced approach, especially when you're approaching people individually as opposed to like a large gathering, then that's something which requires some more thought. And this is something which we see in Surah Nuh. Uh, in, in in the story of Nuhari, when he saying to Allah, جل, oh Allah, جل, I call my people by day and by night. right? And then he says, After this, uh, دعوتهم, uh, Then I call them openly. And then I proclaim to them publicly. I call to them publicly. And then I proclaim to them openly. And then I went to them privately, and so Nuh is calling some people by day, some people by night, some people openly, some people secretly, or he may even be the same person that is doing this with reminding them at different times and different opportunities. And so therefore that same person, you know, you approach them on one occasion and that person isn't in, 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 in the right frame of mind, it's not the right time or so on, but something may happen to them in their life within a week or month or year, and you approach them again and you speak to them, have another conversation, and that person's whole approach has has changed, their whole mindset has changed, the way that they're thinking about these things is completely different. So it is possible to repeat this in a way that is beneficial. And generally speaking, for most people, repetition is something which benefits them. Being reminded over and over again is something which benefits them. If it benefits the believer in terms of their iman and their connection to Allah in terms of their strengthening their relationship with Allah then likewise, well, it will also benefit the one who is not a believer, who is not a Muslim, to remind them constantly, or to allow, or to make them think about this constantly, right? So you're you're you're, uh, you're essentially uh, you're essentially triggering them to remember, you're prodding them to remember, to remind to to think about this, to to engage with this content, to to think about these deeper questions of the meaning of life and the reason for their existence and the purpose of them being upon this earth and what will happen after death. And what are these things that you trigger? Sometimes it takes a person a while for them to accept Islam, right? And we've all heard the stories of someone who, you know, it may take them years before they accept Islam. Or we have brothers and sisters who are reverts and then they work on their parents and their families and their grandparents sometimes. And sometimes it can take them decades, like, 10, 20, 30 years before they eventually accept Islam by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission. If you were just to remind them once and say, well, they were very receptive, they didn't really help, they didn't really engage with me, and so I'm going to leave them, that doesn't, that doesn't benefit. Also, does it mean the opposite that you're constantly down their throats and you're constantly on top of them, pressurizing them, or whatever? That also may not be the correct approach. And so, hikmah, wisdom, is very important. And one of the greatest ways of showing that wisdom in terms of reminder. And one of the things that the Prophet did and we are kind of like going off on a tangent here but it's I think it's an important point is that the Prophet would often be a reminder in terms of his own conduct and character in terms of his own actions And so you would see that even his enemies were people who had to attest to his character and to his conduct and to his general mannerisms and etiquette They weren't people who could claim that he was rude or obstinate or arrogant or whatever it may be, they weren't able to do that because the Prophet gave da'wah in that way as well. And so in the way that he taught people, the way that he approached people, the way that he spoke to people, the way that he dealt with people all of this is a form of da'wah. And that's why from the hikmah in da'wah and from the ways that you can remind is when people, especially if they're non-Muslims, they see that positive impact from you, or they put that positive role model from you, or that positive experience when they engage with you, uh, you know that's something which they can extreme. They can they can benefit from a great deal. One of the therefore the sad things and one of the unfortunate things, unfortunately, amongst many Muslims in our time, is that often the experience that a non-Muslim will receive from a Muslim will be very uh, will be very negative, either because they are rude or because, you know, they don't have good manners and etiquettes, or because, you know, unfortunately, now at time, you know, there's Muslims who do what everyone else does. It's not just like it's, it's, it's specific to Muslims. But you have Muslims that steal, you have Muslims that commit fraud, you have Muslims that cheat, that lie, and so on. So therefore, what's the difference between you and between a non-Muslim? If you're calling to this religion that's meant to be amazing in terms of conduct and character, but that non-Muslim, every experience that they had, right, every experience that they had is something which is negative, you know then then that's like something you know which isn't a good experience um uh i remember hearing a story once of someone who uh who had a he was a muslim this is like from the third or fourth source this isn't the actual person who's engaged in the story but the the person becomes a muslim so there's a muslim and a non-muslim the non-muslim has a muslim friend and the muslim friend doesn't really pray doesn't does everything that the non-muslim more or less does you know maybe with exception of a few things but generally he's like a chiller he just does what he wants and how he wants and when he wants. And then over time though this non Muslim starts to become interested in Islam. He's looking for something deeper. And he starts to become a you know starts to ask questions about Islam and so on. Um and so the Muslim uh the Muslim he's asked by he's asked by his friend, what do you do when you become a Muslim? Well, I wanna accept Islam, I really like this religion, what do I do? He replies and he's like, I don't really know, I've always been a Muslim, I don't really know. He says, okay, so what do you do once you're a Muslim, right? So if I were to become Muslim tomorrow, what would I do? He would say, you would pray. He says, what do you mean, what's prayer? So he says, oh, you know, five times a day we pray, we pray in the morning, we pray these five times a day, that's what you're meant to do as a Muslim. He says, I've never seen you pray, I've known you for like how many years? Not once did I see you pray. And so now what that person is doing is they're causing a very negative impact. Like if This is what Islam is, this is how Muslims are. So that is something which sometimes we put people off in terms of the experience that they have uh, is extremely negative, or it's something which doesn't leave a good impression upon that person who may uh, otherwise have been interested in Islam, as opposed to when they have a positive experience. That the difference between the Muslim and the non-Muslim is something which you can see in terms of their conduct, in terms of their character, in terms of the way they deal with you, in terms of their honesty and so on. And if you look at the way Islam spread, to a number of countries, including in the Far East, countries like Malaysia and Indonesia, it is said that much of that was done by traders. No army went there, there were no like conquering uh, Muslim armies that went to that far in the world. A lot of it was to do with the tradespeople, the businessmen who used to go there and have for commerce and trade and business. But they were truthful people, people of integrity and honesty. So when someone came and they said, I want to buy this, they would say, Okay, but just to let you know, there's this problem with this product, it got damaged on the way, there's this issue and deficiency. And they would be surprised that people would say this to them because as we know, often the case is, yes, sell it to them. And if there's a problem, you know, then we'll deal with it later and or, you know, we don't have to deal with that at all or, or just try to get people's money by hook or by crook. And so therefore, when they were being honest, that left a a deep impression upon those people and slowly but surely, they started to accept his stamp. And there are many uh, stories and many examples of this that you will find in the books of history. Uh, you know, the, where the Muslim uh, Muslims would come into contact with non Muslims and because of their justice, because of their honesty, because all of those things they would, uh, you know, they would do it. So for example, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as we know, when he conquered the city of Khaybar, after the Battle of Khaybar, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to be the Jewish communities that used to live in Khaybar, And so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam made an agreement with them because Khaybar was known for its farming. It's a place of Uh, of of date palm trees and and whatever and farming and so on and so the Prophet said to them you can stay here and you work these farms and in return what we will do is you can have half of the produce and give us half that's our agreement, you do the hard work, you take half and because we own the land now, we conquered this land we will take half, he would then send one of the companions such as Abdullah ibn Rawaha and others to go once a year and to Take, you know, to make that half 50-50 kind of division and to bring it back. Abdullah ibn Rawaha used to go and he would take their produce, put it half and half 50-50 and he would say to them, you choose the one you want. You choose which half you want and I will take the other half. He's the conqueror. right? He's the ruler. Essentially, they're working for him. He has the right to probably choose which one he wants, which is the better one, but he would give them that choice. In one narration, uh, and this is an authentic narration, they said to him, we will give you a bribe. We will give you something, you know, you take something for yourself and don't like make it 50-50. Like give us more, leave more for us and you take some for yourself and the rest you can give to the rest of the Muslims. The Prophet uh, Abdullah ibn Rawaha عنه, replied and he said, never by Allah would I do this. Never would I do this. To cheat the Prophet sallallahu and the Muslims, never would I do this. He said, rather what I will do is 50-50 you choose the half that you want, I will take the other half that you choose to leave. And so they said to him, It is because of this type of justice that Allah allows the heavens and the earth to continue in the way that it does. And so this is the justice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Those people, you know, if someone has that type of experience with you, at the very least, they will respect you for your position or if someone was to come and say oh those Muslims or these Muslims or whatever it may be they will say no actually I had an experience with the Muslim this is what happened and and sometimes it is a very simple thing just to be helpful just to be kind just to be generous just to you know go out of your way and so on it is something which can cause uh, a person's heart to soften at the very least and at the very least even if they don't become Muslims you don't have another negative experience you don't have someone who is actively anti-Islam or anti-Muslims and so on And so that is also from the the objectives of the Sharia. That sometimes what you're trying to do is not necessarily convert people because not everyone will necessarily become a Muslim, but even if they have a better understanding of Islam or they respect what you respect and they understand, that's something which also the Sharia likes because you make one less potential enemy or problem for the Muslims in general. And that is when the Treaty of Hudaybiyah when the Prophet when he was stopped from making Umrah as we know by the Quraysh and so on, what the Prophet did when the Quraysh agreed to send different people. So uh, Suheil ibn Amr, who's the last one who makes the treaty with the Prophet, he's the last in the line of people who went uh, to the Prophet to speak to him. So there are three or four people before that went before Suhail. And so at that time when the Prophet chose, the Quraysh rather chose one of those people of the tribes of the Arabs, the Prophet realized that these were people that particular tribe used to love the haram and the sanctuary of the haram and especially the sacrificial animals that people used to give towards the haram. So when he was approaching, the Prophet said, our sacrificial animals that we brought with us to take to Mecca, let them go ahead, show them to this man. So they made those animals go in front of them and the man saw that these people had just simply come to honour the haram like every other Arab tribe had come. And so that was enough for him to then go back to the Quraysh and say, this is all they've come for, you have no right to stop them from the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, anyway, uh, that is something which I, I, I know we kind of went off track there, but inshallah ta'ala, I think we will stop there for today. And then we will come on to verse number 10, inshallah ta'ala, next week. So, um, if there's any questions, uh, doesn't qad mean certainly and low mean perchance? It can, but it can also mean qad uh, can also mean uh, perchance or in case of or something. A lot of this depends on context in terms of the way that it's used. Pakad, yeah, is normally used also in terms of it being um it being something with certainty. Pakat can also be, you know, qad yadhab this man may go, right? The it can also be in case of or perchance and so on. Um okay, excellent. So inshallah ta'ala we're going to uh, conclude there. Barakallah fiqum and inshallah ta'ala we'll see you all next week.